0: It's nice to have you here. I'm Doug Fullington. I'm the manager of audience education here at Pacific Northwest Ballet and welcome to our first program of the season. We're calling it Tree referring to the three colors of the French flag and all of these ballets have some connection to France either through the choreographer or through the company the ballet was made for or both in one case and I will Talk a bit about each of these ballets and the order we're going to see them, but I'd want to welcome your questions anytime. I'm very happy to try to answer anything you'd like to ask or discuss so uh, please don't hesitate. I give seven of these talks during the rep, and I'm very happy to discuss whatever you would like so if you want to head in a particular direction on any of these ballets, you can feel free to interrupt me so But let's start with the first ballet, three movements. Now this is choreographed, the first two ballets are choreographed by Benjamin Millipier. Benjamin is uh, in his late 30s now. He trained in Paris at the Paris Opera Ballet School, but then came over to the States in his teens, I think he was 15, to the School of American Ballet in New York and then joined the New York City Ballet and that's where he had his dancing career. He became a principal dancer there. But concurrently with that, he was developing his choreographic skills. So by the time Peter Bull commissioned him to make a ballet for us, which ended up being three movements, the first ballet on the program, Benjamin had done a fair amount of choreographing. He was still in New York City Ballet eight years ago when he came to us. But he was uh, very much uh, getting his work out on the scene, if you will, uh, with various companies, including New York City Ballet. So Benjamin uh, received this commission from us, and he selected music by Steve Reich, uh, Reich's Three Movements for Orchestra. And uh, this is uh, really straight up and down American minimalist music. Steve Reich, Philip Glass, all the pioneers of uh, minimalism, uh, is a very, has a very particular sound. There's a lot of repetition in this music. The, the gist of minimalism is that the composer introduces change in the music over a slow period of time. So you might hear a chord played X number of times and then one note is added. It's, you have to sort of keep your ears open for that. One instrument will change and then another one will change and eventually we move on to something else. It might sound a little boring, but Reich, uh, with this piece, has given it quite a bit of rhythm. So it has a real rhythmic impulse to it and I think it really lends itself to dancing. The piece is in three movements. There's no um, finish at the end of each movement, it just segues into the next. The middle movement has a much more uh, mellow quality to it and then as we move into the third movement, the sort of fast pace, picks up again. So Benjamin set this ballet for 16 dancers, eight men and eight women, essentially as one big ensemble. But two dancers come out of that ensemble, a man and a woman, to dance the second movement, the central duet. And that's why they're listed uh, above the rest here. Tonight, Rachel Foster with Jerome Tisserand. Benjamin told us uh, last week he was here with us Uh, in August and, again, uh, just before this rep for a few days. And he did a chat down here with Peter Bull before the dress rehearsal as part of our lecture series. And he explained that with this piece, he was trying to challenge himself uh, in uh, working with a large ensemble on stage. Uh, Maybe choreographers feel, some feel it's easier to work with two dancers or four dancers. When you have 16 dancers, Uh, you know it's a lot of people standing in the studio staring at you and waiting for you to create steps for them so he set that challenge for himself and I think that we we really see it particularly in the third movement but in the first I like how he introduces the dancers to us almost one at a time it's two men on stage at the beginning and we add another and eventually some women by the time we've gotten through the first movement we've been introduced if you will to all 16 of the dancers. Then we have the central movement for the uh, sort of lead uh, couple, man and the woman. And then in the third movement, we have everyone on stage pretty much for the whole time. And here we really see Benjamin exploring and experimenting with patterns and designs and shapes and, and movement for this whole group of dancers. If you're sitting in dress circle or first tier or above, you'll look down and you'll really see this on the stage in the last movement. He creates sort of cube shapes and all the dancers are facing one way, and then, then they all sort of reform and, and are facing another way. It sounds really simple when I say it, but it's it's very interesting to watch how the patterns and the directions and the shapes change and how the lines move laterally and and cross each other and so forth. reminds me a little bit, uh, and I read this uh, from someone posting on the internet too who had the same thought, reminds me a little bit of West Side Story, the dances at the gym. We'll see that later this year because we're performing Robin's West Side Story suite, and it, it includes the gym dances as part of the the ballet, and um, Benjamin Millipier has expressed that he is very influenced by Robbins. He worked with Robbins at New York City Ballet, even worked with him when he was a student at School of American Ballet, and Robbins made a piece uh, for a small group of students of which Benjamin was one. And uh, I don't know that he was trying to suggest the dances, the gym dances from West Side Story in this piece. But I do have that sense of this large group involved in a kind of social, a social interaction that almost goes beyond the dancing. Some of that is suggested by what the dancers are wearing. They're sort of wearing normal clothes, if you will. The men are wearing pants and shirts and the women are wearing skirts and tops. And these actually were just clothes that were bought in a store. Uh, Leray Haskell, who manages the costume shop, would say this ballet was shopped. That's that's the term she uses when you go out and buy actual actual clothes. And, and they do that does happen depending on what uh, the designer is asking for or or the choreographer. Those clothes usually have to be rigged a little bit so that they function on stage for dancers the way you need to. There's usually stretch involved, and you know you don't want them to tear, and they have to move and go every way the dancer's going to go. But it does give a kind of street smart or natural feel, naturalistic feel to the dancers on stage. They're not wearing ballet costumes. They look a little more like people, if you will. And I think that that uh, kind of colloquial feeling is uh, something we find in the Robbins ballets too. And I I like it. It creates an, an immediacy. We've taken this ballet on tour, Uh, we've had it at the Joyce Theatre in New York and just in August at Jacob's Pillow in Beckett, Massachusetts, and those stages were quite small, so the ballet, what we would say is it's spaced differently, you have to in our studios, we tape out the size of those stages, and then the dancers rehearse within the confines of those smaller stages. And when you have 16 people and the stage is smaller, it affects how you move. Uh, But here on our stage where the ballet was made, we have a a large space. It's very expansive. And so um, we really, I think, can see what Benjamin intended in all of the aspects of working with the the large uh, group of dancers. So it's nice. We're fortunate here we have a big stage it's nice uh, there's a lot of room to move and dancers can really uh, sort of take off in space if you will so that's something i noticed just having seen the ballet recently on the small stage works so well on the large stage and breathes if you will so i've talked about this ballet almost as long as it lasts it's it's only 15 minutes long uh, and I, and uh, but it packs packs a punch it's quite dense so after that, we have an intermission right away, and then we come back for our second ballet choreographed by Benjamin Millepied. This is Appassionata. It's named after the Beethoven Sonata to which it's set. Uh, it's Sonata, I believe, 23 in F minor for piano, but it's known as the appassionata, appassionata, depending how you want to say it. This is. I studied piano all growing up, and I played parts of this, but not the whole thing, but it's one of those uh, heavy duty solos that you do learn as part of your repertory if you're serious about about studying it's um a great piece of music it comes from what they call beethoven's middle period it was the period in his life though i think this is the important thing this is when he had found out that he was going to lose his hearing permanently was sort of coming to terms with that and i think it found expression in his music this is This is also in three movements as uh, sonatas were in in the day and uh, there's I think every kind of emotion and feel and ambiance in this piece from the very agitated uh, to the calm and lyrical and it's as though, I like to think it's as though he were just expressing all those feelings uh, in the music and uh, and and you can take that as you will but it it offers a a great deal for a choreographer to work with in creating movement to complement or be inspired by this music this piece was made just this year it premiered in february on the 5th of february at paris opera ballet where benjamin has most recently been director Uh, it was a short-lived appointment just two years and now he's back in the states uh, focusing almost exclusively on his uh, Los Angeles dance project, which is a sort of multidisciplinary uh, dance group. He works with a number of artists, composers, designers, dancers, so forth. But this piece was made for Paris Opera Ballet. It has since already gone to St. Petersburg at the Mariinsky Ballet, and then we're the first company in the States to dance it. There's a lot going on in this piece. It's only three couples, three men, three women, But uh, I want to tell you a little bit, one, just how it looks, and also the ways I see him responding to the music. As far as the look of the ballet, it's designed, uh, the costumes are designed by Alessandro Sartori. He's an Italian designer, clothes designer. And the dancers start out in, uh, again, sort of more normal-looking clothes, if you will. The men are in pants and shirts. The women are in skirts. One couple is in... Red, very red, red, another in purple, like a grape color, and the others in blue. The shop tells me it's cobalt blue. And uh, these designs, the drawn designs, say day on them. So it's as though it's a daytime setting that is envisioned at the beginning of this ballet. As we get to the second movement and on into the third, they change costume So one couple is in black, another in white, and another in gray, which incidentally are the costume colors from three movements, a sort of monochrome palette. And these drawings are labeled night. And in fact, the costumes do have a sort of nightwear feel to them. They're a little bit gauzy and drapey and so forth. Moreover, um, the women at the beginning in the jewel tones have their hair up in traditional sort of ballet style and are in point shoes. Later on, when they change, Um, they change point shoes for flat shoes or technique shoes as we would call them, just canvas, they might be leather shoes, but you don't have the blocked point on the end. So it's a you have a different way of moving, a little more grounded way of moving. And uh, eventually their hair is down. So several different looks throughout this ballet. We have this sort of progression, which is apparently intended to go from, from daytime to nighttime. And in fact, the original title of this ballet is a French title that, mean, that translates, the night ends. And I didn't ask Benjamin about this title, but it could be that we see a whole cycle of a day go by uh, in his interpretation during the sonata. And by the very end, uh, the night has ended and the dancers have finished a a cycle of a day and a night. Uh, I should have asked him and I forgot. Uh, He has, though, since changed the title simply to a passionata. I think simply because the French title was deemed difficult to pronounce. (laughs) But I think it's nice because the music plays a huge role here. It'll be performed by Alan Dameron tonight. He'll be on a raised platform in the pit. Yes, please. You know, they are also the night wear. The second movement is just one couple. It'll be uh, Sarah Ricard Orza and Seth Orza tonight. And actually, they've changed into white, but her hair is still up, but she's in technique shoes. Then when she comes out in the third movement, her hair is down and her colleagues also. So only in the first movement are they in the jewel tones. Second and third, they're in the the, uh, monochrome colors. There are... all kinds of movement responses to the music. I mean, above all, the outer movements here have a almost breathless quality to them. The playing, uh, the music is very virtuosic. It's very fast. There are many runs uh, for the pianist to play. And Benjamin really responds to these with very uh, athletic uh, choreography that's very fast moving, from just sequences of running to uh, multiple jumps in a row almost a breathless uh, sense of abandonment in a lot of the choreography. You may feel breathless when the ballet is over as you watch the dancers. There's a great uh, physical exertion in this piece. They are very exhausted at the end of it, and I think that's the intention. And I think perhaps we might feel some of that as we're watching them as well. Uh, the middle movement, the slow movements, is welcome, I think, because it is moves uh, very slowly, choreographically, as well. And uh, I think it's a welcome respite between the um, fiery quality of the outer movements. Benjamin sometimes also responds very literally to the uh, shape of the melodies and the rhythm of the music and the way that the dancers move to it, whether it's even just moving from side to side or their feet are moving in the exact rhythm that Alan is playing. There's a moment where one of the women is um, uh, partnered by the man and her feet move in a way that exactly mimics what you hear Alan's fingers doing on the keyboard. It's very, it's a very obvious, uh, uh, literal uh, relationship. and. I like that because all of a sudden, I feel like I'm listening differently to the music. Um, It also breaks up uh, another aspect of the choreography, which is this more natural quality between the dancers. Uh, that I talked about in three movements, where they relate to one another, not simply by doing formal steps, by just standing or looking or reaching out to one another. There's that aspect, then there's this literal literal response to the music, and then there are the long sequences of steps as well. So different ways of responding to the music that I think works really well, because we have a small cast dancing to a, a large and pretty imposing piece of music and uh, by offering us as viewers different responses to that he creates a sort of a larger vocabulary movement if you will or or a landscape that we're looking at it's interesting there aren't a lot of ballets set to Beethoven scores um, now I did say that last week and several people came down and gave me a list which is good uh, and I said oh yeah so and so and I didn't know that and all but relatively uh, you know, if you, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, there's a lot of Tchaikovsky ballets, not as many Beethoven ballets, and I think this, I think it it contributes to the interest of this work, and I think having chosen a work that is uh, 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 considered a primary work of Beethoven is something that is was it was a good choice. I could go on and on about this. I think it's a ballet. You just need to see. Uh, it's a very new work. And uh, you're one of the first audiences to see it, and I think that's exciting too. You can see it and take it as you will and form form your opinions about it. Miles Perdle is in the cast tonight. He will be down here afterwards with Peter Bowl to discuss the performance. He's also in Symphony in C. He also dances the lead in three movements, just not tonight. He alternates in that role. So he, he'll be able to speak to all three ballets, but uh, you'll see him primarily in A Passionata tonight. We have a second intermission, and then we go on to Symphony in C. Now this work, unlike the other two, has a long history, uh, and I think an interesting history. It was choreographed in 1947 by George Balanchine, and this was just before New York City Ballet was about to be formed and given the name New York City Ballet, uh, which was in 1948. I think it's always good to remember that Balanchine came to the States in '33, and it wasn't until 15 years later that New York City Ballet was formed. So it's not as though he just came here and was handed this company. He came and was a freelance artist for all those years. And in fact, his freelance work goes back even to 1929 when uh, Sergei Diaghilev died, who was the uh, founder and manager of the Ballet Russe, for which Balanchine worked for five years. When he died, the company disbanded, and, and Balanchine was really freelancing then, all the way till 48. And during that time, he was involved in several short lived ballet companies that were formed for special projects or tours. But he also was in California, in Hollywood, choreographing for films. He was uh, on Broadway. And doing a lot of work there. I think his last Broadway show that he was involved in was in '54. Even even on into the early years of New York City ballet, he uh, worked with dancers, tap dancers like the Nicholas Brothers, who were incredible, uh, with Josephine Baker. I mean, many dance genres, and I think he pulled from all of this experience and brought steps into ballet vocabulary that hadn't been there before. I think that's one of his great contributions. He also was an interim or guest choreographer for companies periodically for Ballet Russe to Monte Carlo in the mid-40s, and then for Paris Opera Ballet in 1947. When he went to Paris, he brought with him some works he had already choreographed, like Apollo for 1928 and Serenade for 1934. But he also created a new work for Paris Opera Ballet, and he set that work to a symphony by Georges Bizet, which had recently been rediscovered. Uh, It was an early symphony, Composed when Bizet was 17 years old. It was the symphony in C. And Balanchine choreographed this and gave it the name Le Palais de Cristal, or the Crystal Palace. And this ballet had a big, elaborate set design. And each of the four movements was given the name of a jewel. This is going to start to sound familiar. First movement, and I have this, to my shame, I have this wrong in the encore notes, so I will redeem myself now. The first movement was ruby. The second movement was black diamond. The third, emerald. I had switched emerald and ruby. And the fourth was pearl. And the movements were addressed in these colors, so red and black. And uh, green, and then pearl tone, and this was a big ballet. It featured 48 dancers in Paris Opera Ballet. The second movement was made for Tamara Tamanova, who Balanchine had worked with since she was a very uh, young dancer, 12, 13. She was one of the baby ballerinas. There were three of those in the 30s that were very famous under Balanchine's tutelage, and that was Crystal Palace. Now the after his stint at Paris Opera Ballet, Balanchine came back to New York and continued working with his latest uh, troupe, which he called Ballet Society. They were performing at New York City Center of Music and Drama, and the manager there, Morton Baum, said, How would you like to be sponsored by this theater and become the New York City Ballet? So Balanchine and his colleague, Lincoln Kirstein, who had brought him to the U.S. in the first place, said, Yes, this is what we want. So New York City Ballet gave its first performance under that name in 1948, and on the program were three ballets by Balanchine. Orpheus, set to score by Stravinsky, which we don't have in the Rep, at least yet here. Concerto Barocco, set to Bach, which we've had here for decades. And then Symphony in C, which was the Crystal Palace, but recostumed so that all of the women wore white in each movement, and the men, the cavaliers, wore a dark uh, costume. I believe it was a dark costume already then in 48. So Crystal Palace became Symphony in C, and that's how we know it in the States and pretty much everywhere outside of Paris. It's been in our repertory since 87, always staged by Francie Russell, but Francia now has stopped staging Uh, ballet, so her colleague Victoria Simon came to us and staged it for us this time around and taught all the steps. Uh, A big ballet. Each movement has its own ensemble. It's almost like a separate ballet. Each of the four movements has a leading couple, two solo couples, and originally six women in the corps de ballet, and that was each movement. So this is a big work. As Balanchine tended to do, he would change, add, take away over time. So by the end of the 60s, there were eight corps ballet women in the first movement, and in the early 70s he added a couple more to the fourth movement, so there were eight there. And this is how uh, Vicki Simon has staged it for us this time around, so a little bit of an augmented ensemble in the first and fourth movements. First movement is the long movement of the symphony, as was normal. Uh, this is a v- seems to me to be very regal. I always think of the ballerina here as the queen. Uh, Lindsey Deck is performing tonight, uh, recently back from maternity leave. Carrie Imler performs this uh, movement, recently back from maternity leave. And also Noelani Pantastico, who made her debut in this last week. Uh, the second movement is uh, the adagio, the slow movement. This is the one made for Tamanova. And tonight it will be Laura Tisserand with Karel Cruz. This is one of the famous duets by Balanchine. Just a wonderful uh, uh, set of movements and partnering for the man and the woman. It almost has a what I would call a rhetorical sense to it in that she'll do one step to the right and she'll then she'll do it and show it from the left. And there's a real balance to this and and a sense of repetition, almost as though we're seeing everything from each angle. It's considered one of uh, Balanchine's great duets. The third movement is the scherzo, the fast movement. This is for the jumpers. Uh, This is tonight uh, Elizabeth Murphy and Jerome Tisserand. And then the fourth movement is the fast finale. Uh, Angelica Generosa tonight with Price Siddharth. It's a little bit like being shot out of a cannon, the women say. You sort of waited all evening to come on for the fourth movement, and then bang, it just starts immediately. It's very, very fast. And then Balanchine, just in typical fashion really handles the whole finale of this just phenomenally after our fourth movement ensemble finishes they run off stage as the first movement people come back on and they have a whole finale section and as they run off the second movement comes on and as they run off the third movement comes on and you start to visually see how big of a ballet this is and little by little the corps de ballet of each movement will line up on the sides of the stage so by the time that first that third movement group has finished their finale, uh, all of the women are on stage. And it's you see how full the stage is. And then the men come on, and there's this wonderful uh, finale for finally for everybody. So just uh, this great architecture that we expect uh, from Balanchine. Talk about deploying large numbers on stage. He had a real wonderful sense of dance architecture, I think we would say. Um, and speaking, I wanted to mention Angelica Generosa in the fourth movement tonight. Uh, she was promoted on opening night to soloist, and uh, as was uh, Matthew yay. Renko. Yes, yay. And Matthew Renko to soloist and Benjamin Griffiths to principal. So those were announced last Friday night, and that's reflected in the program. It's always exciting when dancers. Uh, uh, receive a promotion and their achievements are recognized. So that's exciting and you'll see her on stage and the others uh, as well. I don't know if Ben is on tonight, but they're all rotating through their roles. And as I said, Miles Purtle will be down here with Peter Bowl after the show for the post uh, discussion that you're all welcome to come, just come back here for if you wish. So those are our three ballets and uh, we have a couple minutes if you'd like to to ask any questions or comment? Yes, please. I there's a lot of students in the sheet so often. Do you use the professional students? Thanks for asking that. There are a lot of professional division students. There are a few more than we might normally use. We have in several injuries uh, among corps ballet right now. We use students in most of the big ballets. So in this one, definitely in Nutcracker. Um, We have uh, new Cinderella coming up, but that's a relatively small cast. Uh, West Side Story Suite will probably have some students in it, or at least they would learn, uh, cover some of the the roles. Um, But definitely in the big full-length ballets, we uh, utilize the professional division. It really allows us to get these big ballets on stage, and uh, the school considers it part of the the benefit of the training program uh, that they have some professional stage experience. So um, uh, we work, they get worked really hard <laughs> and rehearsed very well to uh, to ensure that they're they're dancing at, at the level that, that they need to be as professionals. So uh, it, this is an exciting opportunity for them, especially right at the beginning of the year. Anybody else? Yes, please. Can you um, speak a little bit? I can. So millie process. I don't know a lot about it in that I can't remember so much from eight years ago and I wasn't there for, um, for um, a passionata, but I do know in seeing him work with the dancers, I'm guessing he's very hands-on. There are some choreographers who will sort of sit at the front of the room and kind of gesture and talk you through it. And I think that Benjamin Millipier is much more uh, uh, a demonstrator and will be up and doing the steps with the dancers. And if he's working out partnering, he will do the partnering and show the man and the woman or whoever the the people are what he would like to do. Um, as far as like the his sequence of uh, choreographing, if he goes from beginning to end or starts in the middle, I'm not quite sure of that. Um, I do think that he makes changes as he goes on. He does revisit. So if you've learned it one way the next day, the next day, the following day, some things might change, and you sort of have to keep keep that change, and maybe he's going to go back. Uh, that was another Robin specialty. Uh, so I, having not worked with him directly, it's hard to comment, but that's what I see in his coaching with the dancers. very, very hands-on, uh, has a lot to say uh, moves very quickly in the, in the studio. So I would imagine the choreography would flow pretty quickly as well. So I hope that's something. Yeah. Sure. So the first question, I don't, the first question was whether changes were made to the costuming. As far as I know not, uh, Alessandro Sartori sent Leray, our costume shop manager, his drawings for, uh, for, uh, A Passionata and we made them and we, color is the big thing, because when you send it on the computer, unless everyone's calibrated the same, the colors won't look right. So you want to have Pantone colors and know exactly what you're, you're dealing with. Uh, and then three movements, there weren't changes either. Um, and then as far as critics, I don't think we had any visiting critics for this rep. Um, you know, if critics are going to come, say up from the Bay Area or LA or over from New York, they might, um, you know, assess the whole year and decide if they're gonna come for a premiere or not. Um, and everyone's budget's getting smaller and smaller, so, uh, so, but we may have some come out later in the year, I haven't heard yet, but, yeah, sure. Were there any noticeable differences to the uh, cast and the two? Differences in the staging of Symphony in C by Victoria Simon versus Francie Russell. Um, I was told there were small differences but minor connecting steps would be a little bit different. Um, You know, you might do a glissade, which is a certain traveling step versus just step-step, just stepping over your foot and and small things like that, but essentially the same. Um, so that's what I was told by the ballet masters. They're they're of the same generation, so you would expect that it would be quite close. That they would have learned the ballet. at essentially the same period of time in his Balanchine's working with New York City Ballet. So, uh, sure, let's do one more. Are the costumes the same now as they were before? No, they're white and they are tutus, but when you look at pictures of 48, they were very small, kind of powder puff tutus, we might call them, and ours are a little bit more. Oh, are we, no, these are the same costumes, yeah. Yeah, New York City Ballet had new costumes with Swarovski jewels, and, and they had a, had a had a relationship with that company. But our cost we have our own set for this, and they are the same, yeah, so. And one other question. Mm-hmm. you notice in seeing these two bent milky pieces that he has um, moved in his choreography in any way? Or fell? Or maybe that's not Oh, I, th- I think it is. The question is. Yes, so the question is about the difference in Millipier's choreography from 2008 to 2016. And the ballets are quite different in that the first is for a bigger group and the second is, is really for couples in a very small ensemble, but yes. Benjamin definitely feels he's developed, and I'm certain he has uh, in particular ways. Uh, There's a real fluidity to the movement uh, in the second ballet and the more recent Appassionata, whether deliberately or... Unconsciously, in response to the music, but uh, uh, I would say there's a greater ease to the movement and flow of of the steps, if you will. It's a little bit apples and oranges, but I would say if one if one were asked which work was the early work, you would every most people would probably able to identify which is the early one, earlier one or not, I would think after watching it, so. Okay, I've kept you over time, so I'm gonna let you go, but uh, very glad you're here tonight. Thanks for supporting the ballet and enjoy the performance.